Have you avoided these design flaws in your haunt? That's coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunted attraction industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences worldwide. Whether you're a professional or an enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and a free weekly industry newsletter. Links to everything are in the show notes. With Transworld already in the rearview mirror, haunts are well into the design season. But before you get too deep, it's good to revisit some common design flaws. Today, Leonard Pickle from Entrepreneurs walks you through the top common haunt design flaws. Leonard is a legend in the haunted attraction space and with his background in architecture has been designing haunts for over 40 years. This session was presented live to the Haunters Toolbox Haunt Master members and is a replay from last year. Links to join Haunt Masters are in the show notes as well. We'll start off with tip number one, which is always make sure that you're hiding your monsters. Haunt design, in my opinion, is all about how do I shorten the sight line and how do you hide the monsters? You you want a short sight line because the shorter the sight line, the closer the groups can be to each other without seeing what's happening to the group ahead of them. So the the closer you can put your groups together, the, the higher your capacity, the more people that you can push through a haunted house in a limited time frame. So the ability to shorten your sight line so that people can't see what's happening to the people ahead of them is crucial. And it's something that I've worked on quite a bit. You know, a common mistake that I see are long straight hallways. And I see this over and over. You know, that groups be on and out that's 20, 30, 40 feet of a straight hallway. And there's no way that you can put groups close together to each other in that situation. A group that doesn't have another group ahead of them that they can see is going to be moving much slower than a group that can see that other group. So when you have this kind of a situation where you've got one group turning the corner and they see the other group, that second group is going to increase their speed and they're going to catch that first group. And that's one of the big complaints that we get from people that are going through their haunted house. It's, it's, yeah, after the group ahead of us, and then now a group that might be five or seven people is is 10 or 14 people. And the guy that's last in line never sees anything. Once you get that large chunk of a group, you really are, are hurting yourself. So the more you can twist and turn up that pathway, the better you're going to be. And, and that's one thing where the triangular grid system helps us because the triangular grid system has lots of switchbacks, lots of turns, uh, and it helps get away from these long straight walls. And the other problem with the long straight wall hallways, those, those walls are really hard to brace. It's really hard to make sure that those things are aren't flexible and people lean on them. So the more turns you can make in your pathway, the, the stronger the wall system is going to be, the, the easier it is to hold that up. Uh, I, I rarely go more than three panels, so 12 feet, without having some kind of a turn, some kind of a little brace on that to, to make sure it's solid. So this is an easy solution. You just put a put an S-curve in, in that hallway. And there are some facts like a um, laser tunnel or something like that where you need a longer corridor, but try to keep those so minimal. Another one of my pet peeves is I'm going through this haunted house, I'm walking down the hallway, and I walk into a bedroom or a kitchen or a bathroom or even a dining room that doesn't have any door frames in it. It's just, just this hallway that turn, opens up, widens, and becomes the room. And one of the things that, that you have to worry about when you're designing a haunted house is, is, is the suspension of disbelief. You want to make that room feel as real to the people going through as possible. 
Because the more real it feels, the easier it is for those people to suspend their disbelief. So by adding door frames, when where they're illogical, if you're going from a hallway into a bedroom, there should be a door frame with a door in it, not just a frame, but with a door in it. Now the door shouldn't move, but you want the door in the frame. Another mistake I see a lot is that people that are designing a haunted house will design it like you would design a house. So you have the dining room and then that goes through a single doorway into the kitchen. The problem with that is that the patrons can see into the next room. They're supposed to be interacting with the actors in that first room, but the door is open, the doorway is open, and they can see into the next room. And again, this is a problem with a long sideline in in that the, the patrons going through can see what's going on in the next room, even though they're supposed to be focusing on the sets and and actors that are in the first room, just an open doorway uh, between the two rooms creates a problem. One of the solutions that people will do for that is they'll throw a curtain in that doorway. That's a design flaw. If you're going through a haunted house and you see a curtain in a doorway, that's a design flaw. Unless it's freezer flaps that you're going into an actual freezer or something, the design was broken. And because of this sight line, they added the curtain in it to to stop people from from being able to see it. So think about when you're laying out your rooms to change that. One of the things by adding a door, you can block the the way people are seeing. You know, if you put this door in here and, and, and screw that to the floor and put a brace on it to hold it in place, that creates a block to where people can't necessarily see into the next room. A solution there would just be to add door into that door frame to, to create a, a, a block to be able to use so people can't see into the next room. But the best way is to put a little short piece of hallway. And I realize if they're going from a bedroom to a bathroom, it doesn't make sense for there to be a hallway, but it, it helps on cutting down that sight line. So I always try to have a little short piece of hallway between my room designs so that one, the people can can reorganize themselves, get rested up or, 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 or relieved from the scares that were in the room before, before they go into the next room. This helps your actors reset, gives them a little bit more time to, to do something and, or to get ready for the, for the next group coming by. Another common mistake is having an actual swinging door in a haunted house. By code, all doors have to swing in the direction of travel. So if you put a door in a, in a hallway or leading into a room, you can make that swing in the direction of travel for the normal pathway of the attraction. But if they've gone through that door and it closes behind them, and then they find a fire or some kind of emergency situation on the opposite side of that, if they turn around and go the opposite direction, that door now swings the wrong direction. So that's against code. Unless you've got two doors side by side that swing opposite directions, it's very difficult to put a, an actual swinging door on a house and have that allowed by code. And again, if the door is closed when people come up to it, they're not sure whether they're supposed to open it. They're not sure whether they're supposed to knock. What are they supposed to do? You're really just slowing down your your capacity. It might give you an opportunity to scare somebody when they get up to the door and they're reaching for the doorknob. It's a great opportunity for a scare, but it's going to hurt your capacity. And really, unless again, unless you have some emergency exit out of that room so people didn't have to go backwards through that same door, I have a lot of doors in my attractions that I design, but typically they're either screwed to the wall beside them so that they can't close. And I actually do put hinges on them, even though they're never going to move just for that for that additional detail and the suspension of disbelief. But the doors are always braced in, a posi- in an open position, again, to sell the concept that this is another room. This is a separate thing from what you were just walking through. And I use that those doors to push people in the direction that I want them to go. And probably and maybe even hide the exit so they can't see the exit when they walk in. 
Right. Another common mistake I see is, you know, people will be walking down this hallway and there's a U-turn uh, in the pathway and there's a whole bunch of detail and maybe an actor in, in, in that end of the hallway. The problem with that is the patrons that are going through, they're going to hug that center wall and they're going to go around that corner so fast that, you, that the actor has absolutely no opportunity to scare them. And all of this detail that you're putting in this little four by eight section is really lost because the people aren't looking at it. They're, they're trying to get away. They're trying to, to get away from a, the, anything that might scare them. So they're going to be zipping around that corner really quick. But a solution to that is to take that same four by eight space and put it in the center of the room. So now as the people enter the room, they come around, they see the stuff, they're going to hug that outside wall to try to stay away from it, but they don't have a way to get away. So if there's an actor, if there's some kind of a scare, some kind of a prop and that's in that area, they're going to be walking around the outside of it, trying to figure out where the exit is, or trying to figure out where the scare is coming from. And it gives you a great opportunity to scare them from that outside wall or to have something, to, some kind of cool thing happen in the middle of the room to draw their attention and be the misdirection for an actor or something else that's going on. Another thing that I see a lot is there's a room that's got all kinds of amazing detail on one side, all kinds of amazing detail on the other side. But when the patrons approach the room, they look in the doorway and they see the exit is directly across from the doorway. So what do they do? They shoot through the, through the hallway down to the, to the exit door so fast that the actor doesn't have any chance or any opportunity to do anything. So you really are wasting space and wasting a lot of prop and detail by having a room that when the people look in the door, they can see the exit. You want to try to hide the exit from the people that are going through, whether it's a giant prop in the middle of the room or the door is in an odd space. You don't want to hide it so they can never find it, but you don't want them to be able to see it as soon as they walk in the room. Uh, because they're because all of that detail and space that's on both sides is just waste that the actors are going to uh, the patrons are going to get zipped straight through and it's impossible for anybody to scare anybody with that. A better solution to that is to have a, you know some kind of large prop that the people have to walk around and you can take those that same decoration and spread it out through this through a room. You might be able to see through partially, but you can't see through it so that you can see the exit and, and tell where you're supposed to go. It's much easier for a, a hidden actor to scare people. So making sure that there's a place for the monster to hide. Maybe it's just an open door that the guy pops out of from behind, or it's crash doors or it's some sliding panel, something. But, but how do you hide the monsters? When you're designing your haunt, you need to think about and design the scare into the scene. You want the scene to be the scene, but you need to have an actor, a spot for the actor to pop out is that's going to be the easiest way to scare people. Many times I'll go, again, I'll go through a haunted house and there's a girl standing in the middle of the kitchen or, or some guy in a, in a chainsaw standing there in the middle of the room. It's almost impossible then for them to scare people any more than just seeing them is going to scare them unless you give him a place to pop out of. So, and another problem is, it, again, especially in a situation where the groups have caught up to each other, I can't tell you how many times I've gone through a haunted house and been seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth and in a group and never seen a single scare because the actor is always scaring the front of the line. The problem with that is the people that are in the front of the line are the hardest to scare. They're the bravest one. The chickens are always in the middle or at the end. So make sure that you've got scares designated for each part of the group. Use crash doors, pop-outs, drop panels, do whatever you need to, but hide the actor so people can't see him when he walks, when they first walk into the room. And I literally designate over each scare, there's a sign over each scare that says, you will scare the middle of the group. You will scare the back of the group. You will scare the front of the group for some scares. But remember this, the brave people are in the front. If you can give that actor two spots to pop out of and scare, now he's even more effective because he pops out and scares a group, closes that 
uh, door or whatever it is, moves to a different position and pops out and scares him again. Now he can go to the first position and pop out immediately again and scare him again because even though they were expecting the, the first scare, the second scare is more effective and they've totally forgotten about the first scare. So you give the, the ability of the people for an actor to pop out and scare people multiple times. It's, it's brilliant. You put two actors on both sides of the room doing that same thing. And now you can scare a constant line of people going through the haunted house if you needed to. And that happens no matter how big of a space you put between groups are going to catch. They're going to catch each other. And that brings us to one of the the biggest design mistakes that I see, which is low capacity. You can always have a really long line waiting to go in your haunted house if you never let anybody in. So thinking about how do I design my rooms to scare forward? How do I make sure there's no doors and curtains and stuff like that that slows people down? making sure that my my pathway is convoluted and twisty turning enough that that I can put my groups closer together because you can't make any money if your if your capacity is low to be able to do 20,000 people through a haunted house in uh, Friday Saturday with four to five weekends in October around October you have to be able to do at least 700 people an hour and that's a lot of people that's my record is 1800 people an hour with the haunt that we did for Universal Studios which and even then it was pulse it wasn't a constant line but so it can be done you just have to think about that with your room designs you have to hide your actors I can't be standing in the middle of the room and you've got to have multiple scares by the same actor so that same actor can scare multiple people in the same group by popping out of different places. You have to do away with skit scenes, do away with actor dialogue, mainly because there's no control over the link. A lot, some haunted houses are designed to where the people are supposed to go into this room and then the actor has to stop them or something has to, there has to, something has to happen so that they stop. Then the scene takes place, the skit takes place in the room. And then something has to happen to get them moving forward. You can't have a chainsaw in every room pushing your people through. So if you, you want to give people a show, but you need to give them a show on the run. You need to give them a show while they're moving. Having a guided tour is something that I would try to talk you out of doing, shy away from. Again, it's that start and stop mentality, and it dramatically decreases your capacity. If you've got one actor that's not very good, the people that are going through that, they see him once, but you know the rest of the actors can make up the difference. If you've got a tour guide that's awful or he's just had a fight with his girlfriend or it's the last one of the night and he's tired, he can't talk, the whole show is going to suck. I recommend against guided tours. And I don't see that often, but there's a bit of a spill of that now because of the, the new cutting edge stuff that people are trying to do. It's just stuff that most of that cutting edge stuff is stuff that we did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but it's coming back now. When I first started doing haunted houses, we had just graduated from peeled grapes for eyeballs and spaghetti for brains. And that's not that much difference except for the quality of the the scenic and somebody having to reach into a toilet to grab a key or something to get out of the room. So it's interesting, the cycles that I've seen and the ups and downs. Touching people going through a haunted house was very common when I first started doing haunted houses. And that went away because everybody was afraid of getting sued. And, you know, now it's coming back. So everything is, everything is cyclical. Another common mistake I find is some actor, you know, that's standing in a doorway, not letting me pass. A menacing actor is not scary to me. It's just annoying. And while he may scare that 14-year-old girl that's going to scream at anything, putting him behind a wall or someplace where he can pop out and scare people forward, which is what you want, is much better than having him stand in a doorway and not let me pass. Again, anything you're doing to slow down those people inside is bottlenecking yourself out to the parking lot. So get rid of that menacing actor. If you've got a great actor that can really mess with people like that, put him in the queue line. You know, put him outside scaring people, freaking people out because he's because he's so gross 
uh, out in the in the queue line or walking around talking to people, but don't put him in the haunt where he's going to ruin your capacity. Uh, and front scares. I can't tell you how many haunted houses that I've gone through that every single scare hits the front of the group. Every single scare. And all you're doing is backing them up. You're not pushing them forward. And that's where the, the brave people are. The front of the group is harder to scare. You, you want some scares in the middle and in the back to help push people forward. And those are where the chickens are. So the solution to uh, low capacity, you know, design the haunted house for for a constant line. People say, oh, Leonard, I'll never do a conga line haunted house. It's like, okay, how big are your groups? Oh, eight to 10. It's like, okay, what do you do? What do you do when it gets busy? We might jump that up to 20 or 30. But 10 people is just a chunk of a constant line. It's not, you're still, and, and if another group catches them, now you're at 20. The haunted house needs to be designed to be able to take a constant line. You would never run that constant line. But if you have that capacity, at least it's there. A haunted house that can take a constant line and still scare everybody is going to maximize your capacity, maximize the amount of money that you can make, and it's going to give everybody a good time, even though they ran into the group behind them. So you decrease the distance between the scares as you're going through the attraction. Like I said, decrease the hallways or decrease the number of scares or or increase the number of scares as they're going through so that you accelerate the group. If all the scares are scaring forward, pushing forward, then the more scares, the faster the group should be going. And that's going to alleviate some of your bottlenecks. Designate scares for each part of the group. You got to make sure that you scare the back of the group. And you don't know where the the actors may not know where the back of that group is because it could be 10, 10 people around the corner. Make sure they pop out, scare people, look to see who the last person they scared was and go back in that spot before they come out of it again. Make sure that that person passes. You want to make people afraid to stay where they are. You do not want to make them afraid to go forward. So that's where the menacing actor is a problem. Turn the lights off. I've often thought about having the lights that go off behind the the patrons as they're going through that's set on a speed dial. So if I want to speed it up, I just turn the light off where they are and then leave the light on where they're at. They're They're going to go to the light like moss. So you can almost increase the speed of your haunted house just by turning up the speed of the, of the lights that are chasing through the attraction. Eliminate dialogue. Dialogue will kill you. Another common design mistake I see is a lack of egress corridor. If you've got this building, that's this is a 5,000 square foot building, but I leave a four foot corridor around the perimeter and then I have multiple exits that dump out into that corridor. That allows me, in, even in a sprinkled building, you're limited with how many square, how many lineal pathway feet from any central point and from any point in the attraction to be able to go all the way outside. And if you drew this attraction to this pathway and you moved that maze, it's not really a maze, but they, people think of it as a maze, looks like a maze. If you fill that entire space with maze, it's very easy to eat up that, I think it's 150 lineal feet before you can be outside. That'll eat that, that space up fast, especially if you've got lots of twists and turns like I do. But if you bring that in four feet, now you have this egress corridor and you have to go through the pathway, the twisted pathway to get to an exit. But once you're in that exit, either direction you go is going to get you to an exit and it'll get people out faster. And then you're going to be able to stay underneath your 150 lineal feet to an egress from anywhere inside the attraction. And this helps you in a lot of ways. It helps you with actor substitution. Now you can bring your actors in and substitute them piecemeal without having to have a large group of actors that follow you all the way through the entire attraction as you're substituting in and out. Um, it also allows you to remove somebody that's having a problem. If there's somebody that's hurt, somebody that, that just refuses to go any further because they're too scared to move. You can pull them out of the attraction without pulling, without dragging them through the whole maze all the way out. You can pull them into that egress corridor and get them out of the way so that the next groups can go pass through the attraction. It's a great place for your actors to live in. 
because they're e- it's easy for them to, to be serviced with water or brakes and that kind of stuff. So I utilize that egress cord for actor backstage. So you can utilize that egress cord in creative ways. But it's important like for code. It's important for being able to substitute actors, get people that are causing a problem out without having to drag them through the entire attraction. So I can't emphasize doing that enough. To me, A Haunted House is a horror movie that the patrons walk from scene to scene. So what story are we trying to tell? Everything should have a storyline. Everything should should have a theme. And this shotgun approach of having, especially stealing stuff out of movies, is really a bad way to design a haunted house. If you're stealing stuff from movies, don't use licensed characters. Those characters belong to somebody and their likeness you cannot use in a haunted house legally without having their permission. And their permission is going to cost you a lot of money. The solution to this is to develop your own storyline. This is something that really it gives you more to promote. It gives you some identity. Anybody can come up with, you know, Freddy Krueger room and the Jason room and a Michael Myers room in their haunted house. That's easy. Developing those into a storyline that doesn't make sense. And people have seen it. You know, come up with something that people haven't seen. Come up with your own characters. Come up with your own storyline that's creative to your attraction. One of the things I've been pushing for really since I started doing this almost was is multi-element. So I like for you to have a whole bunch of small haunted houses instead of one gigantic single haunted house, because then it allows me to do a Frankenstein haunted house. It allows me to do an alien haunted house. It allows me to do a clown haunted house, if that's what I want to do. Have a short, highly intense experience and then let them out so that they can relax, go to the bathroom, get something to drink before they get back in line and go into the next attraction. And and that's the way to make money in a haunted house is multi-element because you can charge more for it. So you guys are creative. Come up with your own storyline. Come up with your own character. Then there's common building mistakes. And I'm surprised that I still see this today because the internet is so good at, at sharing ideas and explaining to people how to do stuff. But I still see people that are building haunted houses out of, out of two by fours and, and sheetrock. The problem with that is it's almost impossible to change easily. And sheetrock, I've seen a person run straight through a sheetrock wall in a haunted house. So even if you have to, if you're required to use sheetrock, which you shouldn't be, put some plywood behind it because it's the only way you're going to be able to do it without having to repair it nightly. Panelized system is the way to go. So, you, so creating a jig that you can throw the, the lumber into and screw it together quickly and easily. And that way it can come apart easily and you don't shoot. It's a panel. There's no reason in the world to shoot it into the ground. There are lots of different ways that you can hold it in place. And if it's braced properly or if it's, if it's designed properly, even just a door frame or something will, will stop the bottom of a wall from being kicked out. Um, but definitely panels is the way to go. If you're thinking about building a haunted house or a new attraction, definitely panels is the way to go. Uh, it just makes no sense to build it to build it to where it's something that can't be removed without a bulldozer or can't be changed easily. You need to have it so that you can easily rearrange the walls if you need to. I'm notorious for going in at five o'clock on Halloween and rearranging some walls because one room design isn't working as well as I thought it should. And I want to try a different approach to see if I can fix it. To the dismay of my actors that go running into their position and there's a run square into a wall that wasn't there yesterday, that kind of stuff, and keeps them on their toes. But definitely panels is the way to go. And you really need to think about a pickle theory. You probably should, you would, should be able to find something on the internet or on my website that'll, that'll explain the difference between a standard panel. In a pickle theory panel, you don't have to screw through the two-by-fours. A pickle theory panel, the two-by members are first are laid flat in the wall instead of outside of a typical wall would be. So they're flat in the wall. And it's the plywood that holds everything together. So if people are walking on both sides of that panel, I'll put plywood on both sides. You screw that plywood to the two bys, two by threes on the uprights, two by twos on the vertical, on the horizontals is how I do it. 
CDX, three eighths inch CDX plywood on, on both sides of a two sided panel. And if, if the actors aren't, if the patrons aren't walking on the back side of that panel, then I'll use gusset plates on the back of that so that I don't, so I'm not wasting a full sheet of plywood. I'll just have little triangles of plywood that screw on the connections. But you never have to screw through the two by fours. This is a stronger system than a frame system. If anybody that's ever picked up a, a four by eight panel that's framed out like a stud wall, that thing will rack really bad. It'll warp. On you. If you pick up opposite corners, it'll bend almost in half sometimes. And there, it's in it, that connection of screwing through two by into two by is a very weak connection. On the other hand, screwing through the plywood to hold those two by together is a much stronger um, system. And it stores in half the space. You literally can store twice as many panels um, because they're thinner. Uh, and I actually add square footage, you know, not dramatically, but adds a little bit of square footage to your haunted house because the walls are thin. This podcast episode sponsored by Skirit Badges. We always were looking for ideas to to get those actors to take it to the next level. I really want to do something that they can use more than just a meal or they can use more than just a that a boy, that a girl. They love this stuff, but it's not really promoting a haunter. And then I sit down, Scarab Badges comes out. That's when I realized this is amazing because not only is it giving them an attaboy, but it's also promoting them all year round. And for to promote somebody, to give somebody accolades all year round and have them be able to wear it on their shoulder with pride means a lot. This right here says this is who nailed it on this day in this year for the rest of their life, for the rest of their haunting life. And that's what I really love about this product is you're able to give haunting to somebody an attaboy 365 days a year. And that's, so hats off to you guys. I think this is a great product and I wish you the best of luck because it's awesome. Get your scare badges at scarebadges.com. The average house in the, in the, at least in the eighties and nineties, they had eight foot tall walls. The ceiling was at eight feet. And that is very typical. It's economical. Plywood comes in four foot width, so you can stack that up and make two rows and you're done. The problem with that in a haunted house is that you don't have a ceiling because you have to have a sprinkler system or you're trying to allow smoke to escape the rooms to get to a smoke detector. It's really difficult by code to have a ceiling on each one of the rooms. If you did that, if you put a ceiling across your entire haunted house, you'd have to have a smoke detector in each room. The sprinkler system would have to pierce that ceiling. So typically in today, you... Everybody designs with open wall system. The problem with an open wall system, especially if you're using eight foot tall walls, is that it's very easy to be able to, when people are going through it, they're seeing over the tops of the walls and seeing what's happening in the other rooms. And you really don't want that. And you don't want people to be able to, to see or be able to feel like they're not in a real building because there's no ceiling on it. And you don't want them to be able to see lights bouncing around or other things that are going on in other rooms. You might have a giant prop like Godzilla in the next room as you're going through. Now the people see that way before they're supposed to because they can see over the wall. If you would just increase that wall by 10 feet, just two feet more, increase that to 10 feet, it dramatically uh, cuts down on the ability for people to see over the wall into the next room. And if you go all the way to four to 12, if you add a, 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 either a, a panel sideways on top of that wall or, a, or you're just using 12 foot tall panels, now you've completely done away with the ability to see over the walls. The walls fade to black at the top. The lighting fixtures are higher, so they're out of the way. People can't see them. Again, uh, suspending that disbelief of them being in a haunted house instead of in a real building with no ceiling up. Uh, my standard now is 10 feet tall. I don't, I, don't, I don't spec anything that's got shorter than 10 foot tall 
walls, unless I just don't have the space for it. If there's a ceiling there already that's at nine or right at 10 feet, I go with an eight foot tall wall. But almost everything I do now is 10 foot tall walls. Another common mistake that people do is that you literally can paint a room gray, an entire room in a haunted house gray, and then paint black 3-0 by 6-8 rectangles in the middles of some of the panels. And you can watch people walk into that all night long run it right into the wall because they think it's a doorway. Anytime, anything that's black in a haunted house disappears. It becomes a hole. If you're trying to do a pitch black haunted house or trying to do something that, that is surreal and maybe has paintings that are just floating in, in there, okay. But, you know, do something, some kind of texture to that wall so that people can see it because, again, you don't want people running into a wall because they're going to hurt themselves. So just add a wash to it and you just take the bop bucket or the bucket that you're rinsing your brushes out in Stick a roller in that and do a light roll over the top of that black panel. It'll put a nice wash on it, make sure it drips in places. Maybe you can add some broken plaster. This is a very, very simple paint job to make it look like there's broken plaster. But give it some kind of something so that it feels so it feels like it's something that's there and not just a hole. And please, no Easter egg stones. A building that's made out of stone or brick or any kind of cinder block or anything, most of that stone is going to be square. I've seen so many... You know, haunted houses where they've tried to draw, they've tried to paint in round stonework. Well, that's structurally unsound. You, know, you rarely would see that in, in, in an actual uh, building that you would build out of river stone or something that's round. Almost all stone is cut with castles and that kind of stuff. All that stone is cut. So it's going to be square. You'd rather it look like cinder block than, than round spheres of something that are stacked. And, and today, everybody is, using, is going crazy high detail on their wall. So what color do you base your walls out of? Black? Why? When you paint something black to start with, you're, you can't put a color on it and make the color look right because the black undertone is going to really bring the, bring the brightness of the color down. So to me, white is the new black. I base everything out. The first, paint color, the first coat of paint that goes on my panels is white. And then I distress it down, grunge it up. Instead of using white paint on the, that we did on the black wall as a wash, I'll use some black watered down paint to use as a, as a black wash on the white wall, especially at the tops to make it dark, and then just stress it down. And what I find when you start with a white wall is it takes a lot less light. In fact, there are some hallways that I don't even put a light in. There's enough wash from the other rooms to light the room, so it doesn't even need a light. In my opinion, the facade, it gives them a, a hint of what might be inside, whether it be an asylum on the, left, on the right or a farmhouse on the left. It gives them some kind of an idea of what they might be going into. It starts that suspension of disbelief. One year we had a haunted house in a tent. We just had a tent flap and we lifted it up and sent people in. That was the last time I ever did that. Every time, ever since then, I had a facade on my tent. Having a great facade, so you start that, that, that theme, that the experience, even in the queue line. Well-trained actors. A really good haunted house can be ruined by crappy actors. And a really lousy haunted house can be made really good if you've got great actors. So spend a lot of time making sure that your actors are trained well. Make sure that they have the concept of popping out and scaring people. Looking to see who the last person was that they saw and then pop out of another hole or, or let them go by before you pop out of the same hole again. You can't emphasize enough well-trained actors. Realistic sets, we're trying to suspend people's disbelief. So the more realistic that set is, the better off you're going to be. There are some haunted houses that have detail in them beyond ridiculous. And you say, well, people are going through this and half the girls have their faces buried into this, the, the shirt of the, of the guy in front of them. But your brain takes in, your eyes take in more than you really realize. And so when people are going through a haunted house, they're 
they may not remember that there was wallpaper on the wall or that it was torn, but their brain does. And their brain is constantly looking for, for danger. And the more realistic the sets, the more you're going to remove that, that the feeling that they're going through an, a, an attraction instead of the real thing. And it allows them to suspend their disbelief. And you really put them in the position of, of being able to be frightened. And even if they're not frightened, they're certainly entertained because the scenes are cool. Uh, it's a cool place to look at. And so people that aren't necessarily even easy to scare or can be scared are more likely to go through your haunted house of the details. Great lighting. And now with LED lighting, it's cheap. It's, you can hide the fixtures very easily so that it's the, the light fixture is not in the scene. So you don't see the light fixture so that, again, you're, you're suspending your disbelief is, is easier. But I use very little colored light because you have a scenic guy go in and he does all kinds of great stuff. Then you light that with green light and it doesn't look like blood. So the majority of the lighting that I do are practicals. I put them in the actual light fixtures that would be in the room, whether it be a fluorescent fixture over the top or a, a lamp on a desk or something like that. I use practicals. I dim them down, way down so that they're barely showing enough light to even see what's going on. But it doesn't make sense to use colored lighting if you are if you have a lot of great scenic on the walls. Just by changing the lighting, you can make the haunted house look completely different. Shorten your sight lines. You, you've got to be able to get some capacity. You've got to be able to hide the scare from the next person coming around the corner. So shorten your sight lines. The shorter the sight lines, the better. Um, great places to hide your monsters. You know, I've been through haunted houses that every scare was a drop panel. Try to vary things up. Use Drop panels are a great scare if they're hidden well. But crash doors, pop-outs, pop-ups, something coming over the wall. Something at your feet. The actors hate stuff at their feet. And if you can make people look up, people hate stuff coming out at their level. So making them look up and then having them come out of even at even at uh, eye level is a great scare. But you've got to hide your actors. A haunted house that, that has the actor standing in the middle of the room when the people walk in is just not going to be able to scare it. And the scare factor of that is going to be much lower because there's nothing that person can do that's going to scare anybody. If you have a low capacity in your haunt, then I highly recommend time ticket so that you only have enough people show up at your haunt that you can take in that 15 or 30 minute increment. And it gives people an opportunity to, to go off and do something else before their the time for their haunt. Or they know that when they get there, they're within 30 minutes or so, they're going to be in the attraction and doing and, and scaring people instead of waiting in line. With COVID-19, I think the uh, time ticketing, which I've been preaching for a while, is that was been more widely used. Uh, and I guarantee everyone that, that used time ticketing is going to use it even after COVID is gone um, because it's the perceived value is better. The, the patrons that go through it like it much better. And it's and it helps out with the honor. Ticketing, the guy's going to buy his ticket before he ever arrives. You've got money in your pocket before he comes. Even if he doesn't come, you've got his money. And you've got it before he got there so you can spend it on advertising or doing something else with it. And it's, it's just a much better system. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land to Hagrid's Bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.